welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where Catholic truth is served fresh daily. We've made you a reservation in the luxurious corner booth, so come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzezemski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. I'm sitting here with Sam Ziggy Rodriguez. That's me. Tom Dorian, uh, wonderful Thomas Patrick Dorian, uh, the, the venerable Tom, is having a, is in another hair appointment. Yes. It, it, you know, his hair is beautiful and it, it will probably... It's majestic. It is majestic and it might actually be beatified at some point, <laughs> maybe before he is. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, just kidding. Uh, we miss Tom and we will see him shortly. It's been, uh, we've had a really, uh, we have, we're on a road trip. The oh, Catholic yeah. Cafe went on a road trip, uh, Ziggy, and that was like, that was an amazing trip. If you have not heard uh, the shows, we did a series of six shows in Gower, Missouri, uh, with the Benedictines of Mary, Queen of Apostles, there with um, Sister uh, Wilhelmina, whose body was found to be basically incorrupt. Yeah. Very well preserved. Yes. Uh, I was amazed. And there was something really phenomenal being in the presence. Now, I, I'm not going to saint her. Right. Because that process, the church has a process, and that process has to take place. But let's just say that I felt a great holiness in in the in the church there oh, when yeah. we were there with, with her body. Uh, and there's something about being around a saint, right? There's something about oh, yeah. being around a, a sainted or a saintly or a holiness in a way that just really is profound. Yes. Uh, and, and I, first of all, you should listen to those shows. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, I think they're the best shows we did. They're, they're, oh, they're are, wonderful. They yeah. are phenomenally informative. I'm not talking about our work. Sure. You know, Ziggy and Deacon Jeff. You know, yeah, it's, yeah. it's more like just the, the content, the material. Finding out so much about Sister Wilhelmina and and all those things, and I was I was moved by so much of that. Um, but that sort of leads me into our discussion. Uh, we are back in the luxurious corner booth at the Catholic Cafe, and and today we're going to be talking about another sort of saintly experience uh, in in modern times in the church. I don't know how many people have paid attention to the news, uh, but. Uh, uh, there's a there's a little buzz out there uh, on social media and uh, in church news that is about this uh, Ulma family uh, from Poland, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, so in September uh, of 2023, depending on when you're listening to this, <laughs> September 10th, yes, yes, yeah, September 10th, uh, uh, there was a beatification, uh, and a family was beatified. Yes, uh, and I'd never heard of this family. And I'm sure locals in Poland or the people of Poland are, uh, you know, great proud heritage and ancestry. Uh, in fact, this is the good pride, right? That, yes. that it's not the sin of pride. This is the good. Um, these are a good and noble people. And these, these. Well, Drzezinski's an Irish name, right? No, no, <laughs> no. That's why I'm talking. I'm acting poetic about about Poles because uh, yes. I, my my Polish heritage. But all that said. I will. I will just say that uh, I, I, when I learned about this family and and all that happened, it was just uh, it was just an amazing um, amazing thing. Um, this family was in a little, uh, I guess, a little town, a Polish village called Markova. Yeah. And uh, and they 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 were they were s- uh, simple folk, right? Yes. And they, they were around the time of World War Two. Mm-hmm. You you know the story better than I do, but um, around World War Two and. Uh, back then, Poland was occupied by the Nazis. Yes, and and 
the Nazis. The, this was a, this is the first time an entire family was beatified together. Yeah. Uh, this family uh, they were killed by the Nazis for for sheltering uh, Jews in the time of World War II, and. You know, I, I reached out to a, a Polish friend of mine and asked him to give me some, if he had any sources uh, in Poland that might give information that we're not getting on, you know, in the in the United States. Like, what are the Poles saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, about the Olma family and about that, uh, the history there. And he said, well, all of my, all my sources are in Polish, but I can, I can uh. tell you, you know, things that are being discussed. And one of them is that this family, they're actually one of many. Uh, Polish families who were executed uh, by the Nazis who were trying or, or had taken um, uh, steps to try to protect Jews. They were, they were declared righteous among the nations by Israel, which is sort of kind of similar to like a Nobel Peace Prize yeah, or, but a, that's, or a medal. But that's very significant just yes. because of the history of, of, well, of the Israelites, right? Yeah. The, the nation of Israel and uh, being God's chosen people. Yes. Uh, suffering greatly, like literally yes. in captivity, all their, you know, their early existence. Yes. Uh, and for those people to reach out uh, and say, hey, we know what it's like. Yes. Uh, and we welcome you into our community just because of what they were doing. And this is important, I think, because we want to make sure that people understand that for the most part, the, the the Polish people were not complicit. Right. I mean, they were occupied by Nazi Germany. Well, in fact, they, the largest percentage of people who have been declared righteous among the nations uh, by Israel are Polish people. Yeah. Polish people who help Jews. And and there's sort of an, they didn't call it an underground railroad, but there's sort of an underground railroad operation that was going on where helping a single Jew uh, took a network of, of 30 or more people. And, and so this family... What you know, and you know, they, they, just like the Underground Railroad, they'd be moving them to different addresses, getting them food and other needs. It wasn't just a single person. It wasn't just a single family. But obviously, if you're the family who's sheltering um, a the a Jew, you know, uh, the Jews for the long term, you're in a in a special level of risk for being caught, being denounced, and that's what the Olma family was. Right now, they were and they were uh, uh, known to be a really uh, sort of simple, uh, good, holy family. Right, uh, yes. Joseph, the father, was a farmer. Yes, right, and Victoria, his wife, she, uh, she you know took care of the homestead there and was raising their six children. But there's something unique about this particular beatification and, and this family. Yes, because uh, Victoria was seven months pregnant at the time. So they had seven children and one that was in the womb. And, and something that's that's very uh, relevant here is that this, we had the unborn child was also beatified yes. as well. And so the... Uh, <clears throat> It's it's estimated that the Olma family began sheltering the Jews in 1942, and it was in 1944 then they were publicly denounced. So this was they they were successful for quite a long time. You can't imagine two years. They saved a lot of of the Jewish people, right? In 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 that at least at least eight, I believe. And then um, so, but they were publicly denounced. They were publicly shot. And this is also a, uh, just a horrible way. I mean, it was oh, yeah. not like they didn't they didn't go in the dark of night. Right, the SS didn't come in in the dark of night and like no. and disappear this family. Right, they literally tried to make an example. Uh, of yeah, them. examples. Yeah, they, they wanted to make an example of them because the the Nazis knew that there were so many Polish families who were um, stepping up to 
help right. the Jews. They were trying to tamp down the resistance. Right. And so they wanted to make it a public edu- executions and not just that, but to make it where, um, you know, the children are shot in front of the parents. Right. So one by one. Yes. Right, how hor- horrific this is. Yes. I mean, we and we don't want to. Uh, we don't really don't want to get people uh, upset out there, but this was not, uh, you know, like a, a a noble and nice, you know, a nice ex- uh, execution. No, I mean, it, it was, was terrible. terrible. Uh, in fact, it was so bad that um, so uh, evidence suggests that uh, that this unborn child that that like the birthing process had had begun. Right. She was so horrifically killed. Right. That it it was such so traumatic to her body. That the baby started to be born here, and this, right. and it's just it just so there's shows evidence, you, there's evidence of that, at right? Least. Yes. So it just shows uh, it just shows how horrendous this was. And it's interesting because you know the un- unborn child being beatified, um, this has caused some confusion among some Catholics. Um, Let me guess, social media <laughs> lit yes. up. Yes. Because all the social media theologians, and that's anybody who's on social media, right? Right. Right. You, right. you get your social, you get your theology card. As soon as, uh, as soon as you get on, right. Well, and so a lot of a lot of the confusion has to do with a doctrine. Uh, it's not a dogma, but it's a it's a teaching that's that's an ancient teaching of the church. Um, and again, it's not a dogma, so you don't have to believe it. Um, but it's the notion that unbaptized babies go to limbo, right? right? And so. Um, you know, it's permissible to believe that. It's not required to believe that. But there are many Catholics who who do believe in it, um, and because of that, uh, the uh, for those people, they saw the beatification of of, Oma, of the Oma family's unborn child as, as being problematic. But you know, we're here to say at the Catholic Cafe that um, the. The beatification of this unborn child is not a negation of that doctrine. It's a completely separate matter. Right. You can believe in both. You can. Yeah. And and so Cardinal Marcello Semeraro, he's the prefect of the dicastery for the causes of saints. So he's the he's the head guy at the Vatican who oversees the canonization right. process, and he oversaw this. He likened the situation uh, to the holy innocence and, and also to a baptism in blood. And so... I think it's important to kind of unpack that a little bit for our audience so our audience can understand what, what he was getting at. So um, who are the holy innocents? It's Matthew chapter 2. King Herod orders the execution of all male children who under two, who are under two years old um, or two years old and under. And, and those are the holy innocents, the children that were executed by King Herod. And this is a part of the Christmas narrative. Yeah, and, and uh, this is one of those things where there's a, a beautiful Christmas carol that's actually mm. people, you know, Lely, Lulai, thou little tiny child. It's a beautiful, beautiful carol that's about the slaughter of the innocents. Oh, and a lot wow. of people don't realize that and, and, and also think like, well, why do we talk about this at Christmas? Right. You know, we're supposed to talk about Santa Claus and Frosty the Snowman. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah, and Jesus was born, right? Yeah. So, I mean, this is supposed to be a, this kind of joy-filled time of the year, but there is there is joy in sainthood. Right. But there was also, I mean, there's there's this con, this tragedy uh, human tragedy that's connected to Jesus's birth, right, and our salvation, right, in the same way that the that the crucifixion is a tragedy, right, right? that leads to our uh, his resurrection, our and his ascension, our our uh, uh, salvation, right. right, comes out of this. So, but this idea that um, that these innocents, these unnamed children, and we don't know how many, right, we just know there are lots. 
Right. And what we know is King Herod, um, the uh, Magi alerted him to the fact that they were there because a star um, had um, drawn them to believe that a newborn king uh, was born. Right. And, um, and Herod basically said, oh, well, I, I would like to do this baby homage as well. So let me know where he is once you find him. And, uh, and so they said that they would. They were warned in a dream after visiting our, our Lord that uh, they should not do that and they should leave instead. And so uh, King Herod, being made aware of the fact that some newborn child has been born and he and the Magi have uh, bamboozled him, you know, right. and, and, run, and, 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 and left, uh, that was his response was to go ahead and order that every, any child under two years old uh, be executed. How horrific that is. Um, and again, that's that's that is horrific. Yes. Right. And but those those innocents are they were innocent of the crime that they were murdered for. Right. Right. But at the same time, there's these are unnamed saints. Right. And that, exactly. And that's why Cardinal Samararo uh, made this comparison, because the holy innocents are martyrs of the church and they're saints of the church. And it's actually it's an ancient practice to have the Feast of the Holy Innocent celebrated as part of the Christmas celebration along with two other feasts. So the Feast of St. Stephen is December 26th, right? And then the Feast of St. John is December 27th. And then the Feast of the Holy Innocents is the fe- is, is, is December 28th. And so Bernard of Clairvaux, this is in the 1100s, he gave a famous explanation for why we do this every Christmas. He says, in these three solemnities three kinds of holiness can be seen. And I think it would be hard to find among humans a fourth. In Blessed Stephen, we have a martyr both in will and deed. In Blessed John, we have the will alone. In the Blessed Innocence, the deed alone. So so like what he means, it's like St. Stephen, he was a martyr in both will and deed. He willed to be a martyr and he was a martyr. He died, right? right? And then with, with... John the evangelist, the blessed, uh, the the beloved disciple of our Lord, he would have ruled right. death, but he didn't actually die. He did not. He was a white martyr. Way. Yeah, right. exactly. So he was still a martyr, but it was white martyrdom. So he was he was a, a he was a martyr in will, but not deed. And then the blessed innocents, they were they were martyrs in deed alone, right? And so and and just to be clear, by the way, like this did not begin with Saint Bernard of Clairvaux, like celebrating the feasts. Together, it's an ancient practice of the church. It goes back to at least 485 A.D. in the earliest Roman missal, the Leonine Sacramentary. So the, the Leonine Sacramentary, um, it, it lists those three feasts together as part of the Christmas celebration. But the, but the feasts go back even, even before 485 A.D., right? And, and if you look at the collect for the innocents, and the collect is, the, is, is part of the prayer of the Mass. Yeah, okay, the opening to, prayer. It's the prayer right, you know, at the beginning of the Mass. Yes. You know, and, and so after we've done the Gloria. Yes. Right, then we have this opening, let us pray. And then yes. there's this collect that comes from the church that usually summarizes or uh, uh, prays out loud, as it were, the theme of the Mass. Yes. Or the feast day. Exactly. And the collect for the Feast of the Innocents in the Leonine Sacramentary, again, 485 AD, it speaks exactly to the same point made by St. Bernard of Clairvaux, Clairvaux, that the Holy Innocents are martyrs, not by speaking, but by dying. 
And by the way, that same phrase remains the same. They use basically the same collect even today with that same phrase, which points to the timelessness of right. the mass. I, right. I, like, we, we, we really do have a 2,000-year-old church. Yes, exactly. I mean, a lot of people don't. <laughs> this is like, the, here's, here's proof in the pudding, right? <laughs> but so, and, of course, someone would say, yeah, but the holy innocents, they were born uh, before baptism was instituted. They were born before Christ's death and resurrection. So maybe they were martyrs of the old covenant, not the new. So, St. <clears throat> Augustine says... Okay, what circles are you hanging out in social media? <laughs> People are really arguing that? Uh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. You, you're, in the, you're in the wrong chat room, buddy. <laughs> but St. Augustine says no. And St. Augustine, he just to be for context, he died 55 years before the Leonine Sacramentary uh, was, was ever published, right? And St. Augustine celebrated that feast, too. And St. Augustine spoke of the Feast of the Holy Innocents, and he says that the Holy Innocents are the first martyrs of the New Covenant. He has a beautiful quote. He says, In full right do we celebrate the heavenly birthday of these children. The end of the present life is for them from the is, is for them the beginning of glory. These then are justly hailed as infant martyr flowers. They were the church's first blossoms matured by the frost of persecution during the cold winter of unbelief. Very poetic. Oh, beautiful. I mean, for, for basically a guy who was a party animal at the beginning of his life, right? St. Augustine, yeah. one of the great doctors of the church. It's just another, oh, yeah. which is another side story we can do a whole topic on, but like what, what Augustine was. Right. What God saw him to be and called him into and what yes. he became is an amazing thing. So th those are beautiful words that tell you just about like who these, I mean, holy innocents were. Right. Right. Even though we didn't know their names. Well, and it's especially important that it's St. Augustine who made this statement about the holy innocents. Right. And why? Because St. Augustine. It's St. Augustine who made famous the possibility that unbaptized babies are sent to limbo. So he believed that. I mean, he's he's some say he originated it or he at the very least made it famous. And he also, though, believed that the holy innocents were the first martyrs of the new covenant and were martyrs and were saints. So these two ideas are not mutually exclusive. You can believe in this optional teaching about limbo and you can also believe in that the, in the fact that the holy innocents are both saints and martyrs. And so this applies to the unborn child of the Oma family. This is what the cardinal was getting at. You know, the, 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 the unborn child of the Oma family is a martyr not by speaking but by dying. And, and really, also, all the children, were they were all under the age of reason. They were all under yeah. seven. All the kids who were executed um, in, in, this, in this terrible massacre. They were martyrs by, by deed, but not by will. Now, those other children, I'm sure, were baptized, but this child was baptized in blood, which is also a tradition of the church. You had many, I mean, it's Saint Tertullian, as Tertullian says, that uh, the, the blood of the martyrs are the seeds of the church. You right. know? Not, not, not noted as a saint, by the not way. Not noted Tertullian. as a saint, so yes. I, took, I took that back. Yes. 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 <laughs> Run it and rewrite. Yeah. Yes. Sorry, I coughed there. Yeah. He's, he's got some great early church writings right. that we still use, but later in his tenure, as it were, he kind of started to go off the rails That's a little right. bit. Yeah, yeah. I've forgotten that. Yeah, but, but the blood of the martyrs are the seed of the church. And, and, and so we have this teaching being baptized in blood. And that was an important teaching because you had a lot of people going before, because getting baptized, there was a long process 
of, of going through formation. It was a big deal to finally be baptized. And so being baptized in blood, this, this is something that was important to And very much so, and especially the early church that was in such great persecution, yes. right? And we've kind of... In modern times, kind of forgotten that a little bit, yeah. For, because it doesn't—it's ha- not in our common parlance. It still happens today, yeah. But right? there's still certain countries where it's not good to be a Christian, and you can be killed because you're a Christian, right? And that really—and you know—and uh, you know—so if you profess faith, you can be—you can be—you can be killed for that faith. So there still is this martyrdom that still kinds of kind of happens. Uh, but back then, it was very common, right? right? And they didn't have the regular sort of church baptism process. But all of this does kind of help us also to understand uh, the wisdom of Mother Church in terms of uh, things like just recognizing, you know, where we read in the scriptures that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Yeah. Right? That he's not bound, God is not bound by the laws he has created. Now, he's not like a lawbreaker, he's the lawmaker. Right. But at the same time, he's not held bound to the boundaries that those laws put around human beings. Exactly. So when we, we, we need to be aware that, you know, if God is love and God is mercy and God is, uh, is just uh, pure grace and life, um, that we, we can uh, leave these, like, children, especially the innocent, unborn children, uh, to her, his mercy, and there's nothing wrong with this understanding. But now the church has gone, uh, has gone to a point now where it's like this is an explicit, right, a sainting, yes. the beatification of an unborn child, right, and that has some ramifications for us that we. It helps us to to look at this, um, the the whole we'll say the pro life movement, yeah, in a profound way and. Uh, and really, I, I think it's beautiful because I think the church now is able to sort of, uh, in a in a powerful way, underscore the church's view on the child in the womb. Yes, we have an unborn child. Well, he's not yet canonized as a saint; it's a beatification. Right. But we're on the path to having that's an one unbo- miracle. An unborn. Right? Yeah, that's one right, miracle. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's a good sign. I'll say it that way. Yeah. Right? And yeah. odds are that this family is, you know. Another miracle will happen, and things will, you know. So we're we're looking towards sainthood, and and beatification is still a really, really high rung. Right. So like, but you can be beatified under different purpose. In, in this instance, they were beatified on the basis of martyrdom, yeah, and including the unborn child, baptized in blood, bar- and ruled a martyr in the same way the holy innocents were, just like we said. But they were also known to live holy lives. But so they it were wasn't, all, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The family is also they had a reputation as a family for living lives of extraordinary holiness. Just in the simple life of being a farmer, which I think we also can learn a lot about, you know, yeah. following that model, you know, uh, life has gotten so complicated and so materialistic, you know, right. that living that simple life, there's great beauty in that. Uh, but I do think there is also special beauty in this notion that we've got uh, potentially an unborn child saint um, who, you know, if canonized, uh you know, this could be an intercessor for uh, protecting other children in the womb. You know, a great saint for such a time as this. Right. Uh, and, and, and and so I, I think that with – we have a lot to celebrate here. And just like we talked about last in the last several episodes with Sister Wilhelmina, um, you know, now people can turn to Sister Wilhelmina, who's not even beatified yet. They haven't even opened the cause for canonization. But it's still welcome to uh, entrust – to Sister Wilhelmina, Sister Wilhelmina, if you are 
uh, in have the beatific vision, please intercede for my sister or. And this is also important yeah. to understand because a lot of people think like, well, you can't talk to them yet because they're not like they're not on the the canon. They're not listed right. as saints. The thing is, well, how they get listed as saints is the popular devotion, the yes. miracles, the intercession, and the signs of sainthood. Right. Right. So you know, if so, you 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 can pray. To Sister Wilhelmina, just like you can pray to this unborn child, yes, and to the in fact, and to the entire Uma family, right? I think each one of them, indiv- they were beatified as a group because they shared the martyrdom as a group. It would now be each individual member, including the unborn child, in order to be raised to the status of canonization. They'll have to have, uh, in addition to other things, two m- miracles uh, right. uh, attributed to them and, v- and verified. Um, so I, I think that the, I would just encourage people in the audience, uh, especially if they're inspired by the example of this family, inspired by the possibility of an, of an unborn child saint, to um, to ask, you know, for their intercession, if it be God's holy will, uh, to bring about a miracle to help bring about their canonization. You know, that's a you know, it's it, if it's done in the right spirit, it's a wonderful thing to do, and it's a wonderful way to help build up the church. Yeah, and as you said, you know, for a time such as this. Uh, we are living in a, you know, we're, uh, Pope St. John Paul II talked about this culture of death uh, that we seem to want to keep wallowing in uh, in our society, and things have seemed to gotten a little worse, even though there's some positive signs that have happened, uh, the reversal of Roe v. Wade and things like that. That doesn't mean that abortion is gone, right? It's not gone, uh, and we need to pray that it gets to be gone, <laughs> Right, that people see the the beauty and the gift of life, and uh, this this asking this uh, unborn child uh, then to be an intercessor for all those moms out there that are struggling with the with the decisions that they're making in their own lives, and that they will see the beauty and the gift of life, and to treasure that life, uh, especially that life that is growing within them. Mm-hmm. Right, to recognize. The great, great beauty and gift, even in difficult times when there are stresses to, uh, brought to bear, um, to realize the beauty and the gift. And there's just nothing like that baby's smile. Uh, and and so it's it's I think it's beautiful, Ziggy, that we have uh, this potential now for uh, another sort of unknown, named, unnamed saint. Yes, right, yes. Uh, coming down the pike here. So. Uh, this I just I just thought this story was really uh, profound, and I'm glad we had the opportunity uh, to talk about it because I just think that in times such as these, right, in this day and age, we need these kinds of things to look towards, to look up to, uh, that are going to like just help us go down the path uh, uh, that we're going down in life. How beautiful that is! So let's uh, let's ask uh, the uh, let's pray. Uh, for the intercession of the Ulma family yes, uh, and that little baby. And uh, let's just ask the Blessed Mother in a very special way to wrap us all in her mantle uh, of grace and, uh, and to help us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy, Holy Mary, Mother, Mother of God, pray, pray for, for us sinners, sinners now and at the hour of our death. death. Amen. Ulma family, pray, pray for, for us. us. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send him an email at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. Visit us on the web at thecatholiccafe.com. You can also find us on iTunes or follow us on Facebook and Twitter. 
The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe, serving up salvation one cup of coffee at a time.